As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Hi, Jake. Hello. How's it going, dude? Good. I'm still playing a video game. I will be finished as soon as I get <laughs> shot and killed. <laughs> Oh, see, I thought you were ready to go. We could have waited. I got a bowl to smoke, you know. Um, I am ready to go. It's very dumb, easy. You know game. that. Um, could, do you know Twitch streamers? This is what they do: is they play a video game and then they talk about bullshit, like we're talking about. Oh my god, that's so disrespectful. People make millions of dollars doing this. But they're not talking to somebody directly. They're like talking to like a whole room or whatever, right? That's even weirder, though. That's harder. Have you ever tried to do a podcast alone? Yeah. No, that is harder. And not just that, but then also to read any comments or whatever while you're also playing the game. Yeah. No, this is like a very millennial thing I'm doing here. Hmm. People will just sit and do this and have entire conversations on the phone with somebody or whatever. That's why... I uh, can... <laughs> I'll stop if you want, but I can... No, no. It's totally cool. <laughs> I'm doing the rounds on the... On the Patreon, I'm checking in on stuff. Um, I can start talking <coughs> to you because while you play, yeah, I think that's great. I am not offended at all because you know what? I'm a hands person. I talk with my hands, and then when I listen, it's better if my hands are busy doing something. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I'll doodle, I take notes, I do other stuff, and then I know some people find that disrespectful, but... <sighs> Come on, man, move into 2022 and beyond. We now understand that we are all neurodivergent. All our brains work different, differently. Yeah. Um, so you should be okay the, with people's weird shit. Like, they got to knit while they listen to you. That's <laughs> exactly how my brain works. Yeah. I feel, I'm constantly so freaked out about time and how there's not enough time to do anything that I, like, love doing shit like this, which is why I started doing podcasts to begin with because, mm -hmm. like, it drives me insane to be at work and just, like, Fuck! You're just wasting so much time and not getting anything done. But if you're listening to a thing, you're yeah. consuming and you're like um, learning potentially, ideally, yeah. then it feels like you're beating the clock in a certain way. Uh, interesting. Sounds like it's time that we do another episode on time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, that's interesting because for me, it's uh, like my brain doesn't shut up <laughs> does that make sense uh like uh yeah. you know i have smoked weed a, a lot for a long time for about 20 years now and uh you know i've had doctors like like psychiatrists and psychologists be like no don't quit smoking weed obviously you've been like really managing your anxiety <laughs> and all this other stuff with weed for a long time because you're very productive and etc right um but so what that means is that when I didn't smoke weed, like my brain was just so fast, Jake, that the only time that I felt really like normal was on acid. Yeah. Because on acid, like the multiple trains of thought and the quick switching between ideas and connecting things, it was almost like the rest of me caught up with the speed that my brain normally went. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. So the truth is that I spent a lot of my life uh, trying to slow my brain down and shut it the fuck up. <laughs> and uh, the most successful thing for me for that is to keep myself busy. 
So I am a person who, like, I don't really know how to relax, I guess. I, um, I just have to, like, I always have a to-do list and I always, like, revise it, you know, like, multiple times a day. I move things to tomorrow. I have projects fixing my house. I have things for work. I do stuff for comedy, which is totally fucking by choice. I don't know why I do that to myself. Um... And then I'm like, oh, like I write down things like I have to text this friend, you know, or like so that I don't forget everything that my anxious brain is worried about. So in order to like listen and appear normal in a meeting or even during this podcast, you'll see me like taking notes or like I smoke some weed or whatever. I do things with a cat. I'm totally listening, but it's just like uh, my brain is asking my body to do other stuff being like uh we don't need our whole body to listen <laughs> we have other things to do keep going <laughs> you know and so yeah i would actually connect it not so much to time but to the immigrant experience of like you are supposed to be working hard and you're supposed to be earning everything and don't be lazy and you know like never stop moving and pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of shit yeah i mean for me it's like the plague of capitalism it makes you think that you should never not be being productive which yeah. is fucked up like i wish that i could actually do this thing that's supposedly possible where you enjoy a moment but like i it's so hardwired into me for survival that like i alleviate that anxiety by doing that i yeah. just died so now i'm just doing the podcast <laughs> i got killed and came in 16th place on Fortnite, but uh i i totally like that's that's what it comes from you know yeah. i totally get that and it's weird because like i think a lot of people like listen to our show and will do this armchair psychiatry thing and diagnose this as ADD or ADHD or whatever because it definitely like what you're describing I have the same thing and it if you wanted to you could go to a doctor and describe it and eventually you would find one probably not that difficult who would describe what you're saying as this thing called attention deficit hyperactive yeah. disorder or regular ADD or whatever which is fine but like psychiatry is not real to some extent psychology yeah. is not real to some extent that is just looking at a, a a set of problems that people have complained about a set of diagnoses that have identified a pattern and then this supposed cure which is like um meth right essentially <laughs> <Yeah>. and like <laughs> that uh if that's how you want to go fun. about that that's <laughs> totally fine yeah. I just my problem with like pharmaceuticals is that um, they like they don't sell them as what they should be selling them as, which is the same thing as smoking weed, yeah. regulating yourself with exactly. like substances, which is totally fine. They go, no, 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 that's the bad way of doing it, and this is uh, yeah. medicine. It's like the same thing as having a you know a, a rash and then putting lotion on it or whatever. No, it's not. It's like. You know, to some, what is what does a normal brain look like? Well, there is no such thing, right? So, like, yeah. you know, I, I I don't know. I I kind of believe in just um, like because I've had such bad experiences with like a lot of substances, doing what works, and also um, if you can building your life in a way where you can record your podcast and pet your cat and play video games yeah. at the same time. And it doesn't, it's not dysfunctional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the issue is that, um, 
most of psychology and psychiatry is about addressing nonconformist behavior, not to return immediately to the thing in the last podcast, but it is not saying that this behavior is bad. It's only bad if it keeps you from meeting the requirements of our society for you to be able to live a healthy life and be around other people, right? So, you know, especially after the pandemic and in office work, this is one of the things where I'm like, you shouldn't be rushing to be like, everybody go back to offices now. It's all back to normal. Let's go back to how things were. Because you might think how things were were perfect for you, but do you know how many people figured out that they're more productive when nobody's watching them, that they're more comfortable expressing their needs from a boss in writing or in, in a chat than face-to-face, that, you know, like... Uh, not everybody's brain and body works the same way. So if you find a way to regulate it, you know, so I do have an Adderall prescription. Um, but to be clear, I thought I had ADD or ADHD. And then my fucking doctor was like, nah, bro, (laughs) you, uh, she thinks that I have PTSD and that, uh, my memory issues and anxiety issues are actually symptoms of the PTSD and not actually the whatever, but it doesn't matter. Well, a lot of, a lot of people right now yeah. in that field think that PTSD is the one great underlying cause of exactly. things that are just then identified as things like ADHD exactly. and depression and stuff like that. Exactly. So two things about that. One is, um, just about the Adderall thing is, uh. So I did get a prescription for Adderall. Jake, uh, I thought I would have so much fun with this. Um, I don't. (laughs) I (laughs) take it in very small, small doses when I really actually can't concentrate. Because if I take a normal dose that was like given to me as like a daily dose, I will work for fucking 14 hours straight. Because I'm like, oh my God, I have so much to do. And my lists just get longer and everything gets more important. And I will forget to eat and I won't talk to anyone. And then I fucking didn't shower. (laughs) And it's like, oh yeah, I got all this work done. But it's like, nobody's paying me for it. Like, I just worked really hard. Like, it's like I'm a fucking ant on meth. You get me? (laughs) It was just like, I'll keep building the whole fucking thing for the queen, even though everybody's sleeping right now. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So I actually don't find it useful. And I only use it like literally in a little tiny amounts whenever I do have concentration issues. Um, But all is to say that, um, you know, um, I don't want to say recently, but this is something that especially people who have a good Um, modern Marxist understanding, you know, not like quoting it out of the book, but like understanding what it means for modern life that Marx couldn't have even foreseen, really. Um, Some of these people have brought up the point that a lot of these mental health diagnoses that keep being explained to us as being rooted in individual issues, right? Like your childhood, the wiring in your brain, your fucking um, hormone imbalance, they call it, right? Um, Some specific thing, some trauma specifically that happened to you in the past. And there really is absolutely no desire to or a mechanism for or profitability in exploring the giant systemic issues that would cause things like depression and anxiety and attention issues, right? Um, So the idea that capitalism causes depression just as much, if not more, than personal experience or biology 
is something that needs to be understood and accepted and talked about and treated for people. I, you know, I had to go... I've had to go pretty far out of my way to get treatment uh, because, Jake, you think a, like a trad psychiatrist or psychologist is going to be useful to me? No. They're going to want to talk about my childhood. They think everything is about whether or not, like, I'm sad that I don't have kids. Why am I, do I regret not getting married? It's literally useless to me because you live in this bubble where everybody wants to be, quote, normal, and you think that I came to you because I'm not normal. That is not why I need help. I need help because being not normal stressing is stressing me the fuck out and I would like some fucking coping methods. <laughs> how do you how do I get through this existence? Which includes fucking capitalism, patriarchy, traditional expectations, uh fucking everything, city life, um national politics, like fucking everything. Um I've told you before that like uh, my mom used to have this joke that she said that since I was little so that's like she she cries even over the obituaries in the paper right so it's because Mm -hmm. since i was little like anything like there's a hurricane on the other side of the world the fucking guerrilla news like everything that i ever heard about where people were dying i was just like why how like i got to be an atheist by 12 because i was like what kind of god (laughs) when i was like eight (laughs) you know what i mean have you seen the newspaper mother (laughs) so like um, for me, the worst period of depression I ever experienced, Jake, I know this isn't even what we're going to talk about, but it's related, is that it was... Everything's like, related. Yeah, it was around 2018, and it was completely uh, capitalism-related. <clears throat> it was job-related. I found myself 10 years into working nonprofits, building a career, quote-unquote, in museums, in honestly the best city in the world for museums that has the best museums in the world. And I worked at the big ones, and yet I'm still getting, like, I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. The pr- promotions are based on, like, who, what family you are, you come from, and, like, all this legacy bullshit. Um, so I'm, I found myself at 10 years into my career, so 10 years after finishing five degrees, I found myself living paycheck to paycheck, uh, $200,000 in student debt, and not seeing any prospect for a future in my career, because if my career didn't work out at the Guggenheim or at MoMA, <laughs> you know, like, where the fuck am I supposed to go that I'm going to get a better chance? You get me? And yeah. I felt all of a sudden, like, holy fuck. For the first time, I was like, yo, I fucked everything up. I made all the wrong choices. I went to school for all the wrong things. Now I'm in debt. I have no safety net or whatever the fuck. I don't have a family that can support me or whatever or catch me if I fall. Uh, And that sent me into a fucking deep spiral for almost a year and a half where I got back on medication because of that. And, like, I hadn't been on medication since college, since I was in my early 20s. And that crash, dude, I... Before that crash, I was doing great. I was having so much so much sex. I was like in the height of my poly era. I was like killing it at work, killing it in comedy. You know, like everything on the surface, on the outside looks great. But the precariousness of my financial life and the fact that my rejection of having a husband to fall back on or a motherhood to claim as like the one thing I did right, <laughs> you know, like... 
my world was imploding and it was not because of my biology and it was not because of my childhood. <laughs> it was literally because I fucking was trapped in New York City wondering how the fuck I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mark Fisher like talked a lot about that right before he shortly uh, committed suicide yeah. and shit. But like, you know, he talked a lot about how um, exactly the thing you're saying, which is that... Uh, and, and I know this shit. I'm not repeating myself. I may listen to PDA, but I talked about this a little bit on, on it a while back. But like, um, I, I studied like you know biopsych and neuroscience and stuff like that when I was in college. And from the get go, I've always been like really skeptical of psychiatry. Not in a, a like extreme like weird Scientology way of like it's it's coming to get us and yeah. whatever. It's just I just see it for what it is, which is basically this thing that um okay so the field of psychology was kind of considered like a soft science for a long time it wasn't funded very well and it yeah. was very ambitious in its origins in that it was using science to explain what was traditionally explained by like spirituality and like this unknowable shit uh, the inner world you know and so when psychiatry came along and we started manufacturing pharmaceuticals it uh, created a situation where tons of funding then went into the field of psychology via the like private pharmaceutical industry, which lent legitimacy to it. So it skewed everything in that direction and it just naturally created incentives for um, for things to be set up in a way where there is a thought of as a you know of like these these things you're talking about like these these um you know you were something happened when you were a child or whatever yeah. creates a problem and then they this like pill solution or whatever root, and root tree logic mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah. right and like what uh what this largely looks over is you know a lot of people would argue um maybe some of these problems aren't actually problems mm -hmm. which is certainly a thing that happens in medical science all the time like yeah. you look like autism and stuff like that but like with depression this is what mark fisher talked about all the time uh it, it's it that's a real thing but we're not talking about how that is probably uh, a an outcome of capitalism's ability to dislocate you yeah. and alienate you and stuff like that and so it's like this fucked up situation to be like for capitalism itself to keep you employed and then when you come to it and go i feel terrible it goes oh no here's a different explanation why you are feeling terrible and here is a solution that itself continues to reify capitalism yeah. that's how everything in capitalism like works like that it's so insidious and like under this system of thinking about things like this with like root tree like logic and stuff like that you're saying yeah. Well, no one will ever address like the 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 root causes of these fucking things, which is, um, you know, I mean, it's that, not it's like, root because we don't want to be root logic, root tree. Right. So I would say maybe like the soil of it, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's almost like you want to talk about like the roots or the seed that your tree came from, but you don't want to acknowledge the kind of soil it was planted in or the kind of air it was exposed to or how often it was watered. And all of those things are not just from a parent and from your relationships and from your brain. They're also from your society and from like what your material reality is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, have you ever heard that phrase? Like if you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. Yeah. It's kind of like one of those things yeah. where like when, 
people talk about this, I get, you know, you're like, what if being depressed is the logical conclusion to the system that we have that set we currently up? Exist in. Yep. And that is unnatural. Like it, it does yeah. actually follow some of the logic of what we'd say depression is. It is unnatural, yeah. but like, why is this unnatural? Because we put ourselves in an unnatural situation. That's yeah. why everyone's depressed right now. Nature, natural art. If we were living a more natural life, we wouldn't be alienated and fucking weird and overworked yeah. and shit. You know, we'd be like hanging out, which is, I guess, I'm thinking like a Rousseau guy right now. Whatever, <laughs> like, I've, I've, I'm thinking of this like a uh, scenario where um, I think of these two versions, right? Um, one is uh, the comic who quit. And is happy, right? So this this is gonna be like so you can see some of my brain working, a comic slash trad example conundrum that my brain is always turning over. Okay, that both of these statements are true. <clears throat> there are comics out there who quit comedy, and they're genuinely really really happy, and everything about their life without comedy in it is happy for them and they move on to whatever their next thing is and have having a family etc whatever it may be they're happy and i think that mostly that's those truly trad people right so they move on to something else and they forget i guess about the dreams of youth or however they want to phrase it but then it's also true that there are some comics out there who quit for other reasons, because of systemic circumstances that made it so that it was no longer feasible to keep pursuing this interest and this passion. And, you know, regardless of whether they say they're happy or not now, there's got to be some who, let's say, are not happy. And let's say, whatever, their parents, they're not, they're in a relationship, whatever, they got another job, but they go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and they want to talk about the fact that they're depressed or that they have anxiety or that they are having, like, issues um, with, like, fidgeting and whatever, right, and paying attention, then how likely is it that they're going to find a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a person who is going to address the feeling of loss that comes from accepting the letting go of your dream? Right. Like, how is that not something that we accept in society has to be as hard as a death? Like psychologically, no, but instead they're going to get pills just for like the attention thing or whatever, you know, and I'm like, but we're not any of us like, dude, my depression at that time was so much a loss of like my pursuit of how I wanted to live my life seemed suddenly completely out of my grasp. For the first time ever, I lost complete hope. So how do you explain that to someone who doesn't see that as a reason that you would think life is not worth living now? <laughs> you know, like... Well, I think I talked about this a little bit, yeah. like, a couple episodes ago or something, but, like, your central nervous system isn't a brain. Like, it doesn't know... It just feels the feeling. It doesn't know the difference between grief the over the loss of a yeah. loved one and grief over the loss of your career. Yeah. It just feels grief. So this is, like profoundly dumb that we, that we don't use acknowledge these qualifiers yeah. i mean really what that qualifier is when you're asking like when you're trying to distinguish between those two things is like external it's like you know a psychiatrist trying to distinguish between whether you're lying or not yeah. about feeling the way you're feeling but you should like we probably 
it's I, I it, we should believe people when they're feeling depressed yeah. that they probably have a good reason or whatever. And it was like, I mean, a breakup, having your heart yeah. broken is very similar Dude, feeling to death. someone dying yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or your pet dying is like yeah. a fucking basically the same as your friend dying. Yeah, like it's the same fucking thing. Yeah, and um, you know, and besides those like emotional connections, I just want to say that like, you know, the loss of your career or the loss of your dream because we live in capitalism, it's not so easy to say that that's always like this choice that you made or to make it a choice in any way because it's connected to can you pay your rent can you pay for a kid can you pay for the lifestyle of a partner that you are with and want to commit to building a life with uh does it satisfy your parents expectations of who you should be does it satisfy your expectations of who you should be by this age uh so much is there does a pandemic happen and then you can't pursue the thing you were pursuing you know like that's a good point. Yeah. It's not just like letting a thing die. Yeah. It's just like getting it gets it's killed. killed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, dude. So I don't know. Um, I guess it's well, just encouragement okay. for people to not think that it's always like a broken brain issue. And even when it uh, is a broken brain issue, it's just a different brain. It's not a broken brain. Yeah. Okay. I think this kind of connects to something I mm-hmm. wanted to talk about. So let me walk you through this funny thing that happened on Twitter this week. Okay. I don't know all the details of it, but I know enough. Tell me about it. There's this. There's a podcast called The Try Guys, and apparently it's like these four guys, and it's ex-BuzzFeed workers, and they like have this really corny, like internet, dorky, uh, popular podcast where they try things. I don't know. It's, that seems to be the basic premise is like, you know, they try a food they've never tried or some shit. Some fucking bullshit BuzzFeed stuff. Um <laughs> irrelevant but it's like well maybe it is maybe it isn't irrelevant actually the 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 realm of like pop culture and society that they work in basically what happened is what so there's four guys one of them this guy ned something apparently what happened is he recently he's married and his brand his character on the show was being a wife the wife guy wife guy Yeah, yeah. yeah which is like a dumb internet thing the idea of someone who's really into being uh, in a monogamous marriage with their wife and loves their wife or whatever. So he's playing that character. <laughs> That's already an idea on the internet, you know? Yeah. So he's pandering to this thing. And then apparently what happened is that he had a relationship with someone who works within the whole office sphere of the podcast or whatever. And oh, I... Shit. This You mean I all this affair this shit was about some podcast dude? Yes. Yeah, so, I thought it was about yeah. oh no, I'm thinking about Herschel oh. Walker. But sorry, no, okay. No, 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 yeah, no, no, sorry, no, no, forget no. that. Forget that. Yeah. So uh and I this is a detail I maybe important, maybe not, but just put a pin in it, I think. Was people are saying, well, she was a subordinate. Maybe she was, Ooh. maybe she wasn't. I don't really know the details there. Complicated. Uh it doesn't sound like that's really what what they are focusing on, though. It's the cheating. Um, it's just that he cheated, mm. and so what these three other guys did is that when this like when they discovered this, they released like an HR style statement that was like, "We are taking this very seriously, <laughs> and we 
uh, have looked into the situation. This does not reflect the Try Guys values and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, and they kicked they him like out a, of this fucking thing. No way. Are they like a super they G ki- rated? Like, what's the deal? Are they on the Disney channel or something? They're lame. Like, they're dork shit. Oh but, like, God. I don't think they're super G rated. They kicked him off this podcast and. Uh, and and they. I know people that off. don't kick sexual predators off their bodies. <laughs> right, <laughs> but they did it for like it's seemingly like optics reasons. It doesn't seem like they were concerned about uh like the idea of him dating a subordinate. It seems like what they took major issue with was infidelity. Like he cheated on his wife, and they're using the language of abuse to. Oh, no. Uh, frame this the same way if someone got me too'd for like sexual assault like hey we all took, took, had a meeting yeah. about this we take it very seriously or whatever but that's they're treating totally different. cheating yeah. in their marriage as that <laughs> as but it, it's like yeah. he almost he almost dug his own grave with the wife guy stuff though by like pandering in that way but honestly I feel like this person like tragically was kind of dislocated to the extent that he felt that oh you know the it, probably getting married at some point and living this like settled down lifestyle people choose to live that he thought if he just like leaned really hard into it and made it a brand awesome. out of it yeah that, that he would but be clearly happy. like it yeah clearly he was not happy though well and had other needs totally and, like, totally didn't fucking go get a met and all this stuff and like i don't know well let me suggest this uh, which is no, because I agree with you. He, obviously, he had other needs; otherwise, he wouldn't have done something outside of marriage. But let me suggest this: that maybe, like, what if a possibility is that the wife guy character wasn't a character? Because I, you know, there's dudes that love it. They want to get wanted to get married. They love totally. the lady. They're way into it. Um, fine, cool, fantastic. But here's a little acknowledged truth, which is. Um, of non-monogamous people are actually monogamous people who cheat, okay? So what that means is that the most common conception of marriage in our culture is actually the idea that you find a wife, you marry her, and that has nothing to do with whatever indiscretions you may have as long as she never finds out and it never embarrasses her and you don't ruin anything at home. Yeah. And it's an it's a truth that I think we all like dude, everybody watched Mad Men and fucking loved it. Everybody like in comedy we like make jokes about it. Gerard Carmichael's favorite joke that I have is fucking about the fact that like your grandma got cheated on and like whatever. You know, like uh this idea of a good husband is just a very new invented idea, but yet everybody like is like in on it, like hell yeah, I want it. But just the same way that the girls internalize the idea that I gotta have the white dress and the bridesmaids and the whatever, I gotta tell you that the boys internalize the idea that the wife is different from the whore and they are separate worlds that do not have to interact and that have nothing to do with each other. And it is why yeah. a wife guy can be a wife guy. It's It describes all Republicans, frankly. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I see guys do that, yeah. and I'm like, that's dumb. Like, you're do- you're engaging in a thing that isn't true. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the reason I brought it up in relation to that thing you were just describing is, like, that. That, I, that like, thing that doesn't turn out to be true, that buying into that yeah. system is, like, very similar to the short-sightedness of not understanding, um, you know, that you're, you're 
that a pill isn't going to come along and save everything because like the the what's being sold in the idea of getting married and being a wife guy and having this like fun you know situation that is very reinforced by society is this i feel it's a very similar concept to what's being reinforced in a zoloft commercial that's like don't worry it's not you you're gonna feel great when you when you give in to you know what we're telling you this (laughs) thing that is advantageous happens to be advantageous to the mode of production is the solution don't look any deeper you know (sighs) and it's like scary these people need to look deeper because they end up fucking cheating and then you're like we fucked that up to begin with and also clearly this wasn't you you needed other shit you know no you're so right i uh uh, I was going to ask you a direct question, but no, I don't want to know about your um, prescription history or anything or force you to share anything. <laughs> so I'm going to say this, uh, that um, I'm sure that you're aware that there are some common, commonly prescribed antidepressants that um, directly affect your libido, right? You've heard about this? You've experienced this? I've taken an antidepressant before that it gave me the thing where you couldn't come. Okay, great. Okay, great example as a man, because as a lady, um, I took Lexapro. I'll just throw it out there. I know everybody's different, but I took Lexapro. And what it did was, like, completely killed my interest and desire in sex. Like, completely. So, like, I fucking dropped every person I was seeing. I just became a fucking ice queen. And then the pandemic happened, and it was, like, great. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> fantastic. Um, but years before that, I dated a man who was on Lexapro, and he had the couldn't come thing, dude. And yeah. it sucks on both ends. I got to tell you, having now experienced it from the, like, I, my partner takes an antidepressant and it affects his sex drive and also from the side of I take one and it affects my sex drive for my partners. Um, it sucks that it that you would go to a medical professional for help and that their answer is here is something that will shut your brain down and your sadness down enough that you like won't want to kill yourself, but it will also deprive you entirely of like every moment of connection with other human beings. That's fucking yeah, that's, crazy. <laughs> like, I'm like, it's not worth it. Exactly, dude. I'm like, dude, I would rather date you kind of like off the <laughs> like shit a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> or like, I'd rather date someone while they're, um, you know, if somebody says to me, uh, I was on another medication and now I am trying something else because that previous medication affected my sex drive negatively and so I'm trying something else and I don't know how I'm going to react in the next few months but I'm working on it. I, at this point, would prefer to date that person than someone who's like, I've been on, on this medication for five years and I can't come for the last three years and that's just the kind of sex we're going to have forever. <laughs> you know, and I'm like... I think that those people would be less ready to accept that if they didn't also buy the logic that it is solving this root tree thing that it's you are because what the language they always use in selling pharmaceuticals is that you it's not your fault there you have a natural chemical imbalance and that implies all these strange things like like there's a balance Right. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, like how, what the fuck? Show me what the regular balance is. If, and I'll figure yeah, it out. if you're yeah, looking no, at the news not. and your kids and your bills and your career and the environment and politics and traffic and entertainment and then going, 
yeah, everything's great. My brain is perfectly balanced. Everything's wonderful. There's something fucking wrong with you. Like, I don't think. Right. You're, you're fucked yeah, up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, That's not a thing. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I guess also what I meant by that, though, is that like um, fucking the imbalance thing. Shit. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. Okay, pause. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 go, no, go, no. Go. I, sorry, I figured out what it was. Yeah. Um, what most people don't understand about how pharmaceutical like antidepressants are made is that the 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 implication that they're trying to push in selling you this sort of stuff is that there's this very sophisticated laboratory somewhere where they like are mapping the human brain and the central nervous system and everything and that they really figured out the root causes of depression but like I, this is what i studied when i was in college like the way they come up with these drugs is on accident yeah like they just fucking throw a bunch of shit at a wall all day mm. half the time they're trying to come up with something that cures something else and it's happened to find that it alleviates the symptoms but like antidepressants the one like lexapro yeah. the ones that like kill your sex drive and stuff it's it might cure like symptoms, yeah. but it's not a magical drug. It's basically just numbing, numbing you out, you. which yeah. is the same thing that you do when you drink alcohol and smoke weed and right, stuff. Right, totally. So, like, Stop I kind of trust yeah. somebody who just drinks more than like trust people that are like they've given their faith yeah. into antidepressants. Into pharmaceutical you know? companies, yeah. If you use the antidepressants the way we all knowingly drink, yeah. knowing it's like kind of dumb and stuff, and it like, gets a job done or whatever, sure. But it's the faith thing that's like really fucked up about it. Totally. That. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. There's people who are uh, drunks who know that they're self-medicating and they still have to go to work and they get shit done. And then there's drunks who are not aware that they're self-medicating and they think they're having fun and then therefore they don't really have fun. Oh, so sad. But um, actually I would say to you, so my medication that I have been on for almost two years now and that honestly, Jake, I've never felt better in my entire life. I am 41 now and it's almost kind of sad that it took this long to feel good about life. So I do want to say this, that I do think that because, yes, there are potential uh, biological factors, because here's the thing that you have to remember is um, brain mapping is not something that happens at birth and just stays the way it is forever. Your brain gets remapped through experiences that you have, through knowledge, through fucking just like everything, expanding your horizons, right? Your, uh, it is why the same way that trauma can re, uh, change the pathways in your brain to m uh, misunderstand a pleasure or a pain as a pleasure, or pleasure as a pain, etc. Um, good things can also rewire your brain, right? So there are good medications. The issue besides the fact that pharmaceutical companies and often the people who are prescribing their products are just trying to get make a dollar, is that not everybody's brain is the same, so there is no, like, this is the drug that works for everyone. And right. so the fucked up thing is that you have to go to a doctor, the doctor will be like, take this drug, and then they tell you, like, it doesn't work until you've been taking it for three months. So then you take it for three months, and then... Maybe for the next three months, they take you seriously about your, your side effects, right? Because for the first three months, they're like, just wait. It'll, it'll balance out. Just wait, <laughs> you know? And then when you're in month five or month six and you're like, no, I still can't sleep or no, I still can't fuck or no, my blankets feel like they're burning my skin, <laughs> you know, whatever. Then they're like, okay, 
well, let's wean you off of that. Or no, first they'll adjust your dose, maybe. And then after a few months, maybe they'll wean you off of that if you still don't like it. And then you have to start a whole new one. So that's a whole new three months. So the reality is that a lot of us spend our whole life trying medications and phasing out of them and trying a new one, you know? Trying a new dose, trying a new combination, and everybody's different. But the one that ended up working for me was actually a medication that's primarily prescribed for high blood pressure. Check that out. So mm-hmm. it's like totally not controlled. It's most people, like I think uh, 67% of the people that take it, take it for high blood pressure and the rest is for depression. And it's something that works for people who SSRIs did not work for. Um, so if you're a person who has, you've tried more than one SSRI and it didn't work, this is something to ask your doctor about. Because um, since I'm not a tree uh, logic person, I think we have to be rhizomes about everything and addressing the physical has to come at the same time as you address the social, which is why I like considering really your social position and what makes you happy about your interactions with others and your job and all this stuff also matters. And then also your family, all of that shit. You know, if you have toxic family and fucking traumatic experiences with them, yeah, no, you, they, nobody should be telling you <laughs> to make up with these people. You should be moving on and learning how to build a new community and a new family. Um, so, I don't know. I guess I'll wrap that up with, um, there's like one sex therapist that I'm still following that I really like because she's the only one that I think is not super trad. And uh, she recently posted something interesting that is like sometimes people, she's very sex forward and sex positive. Like the, I met her actually through FetLife. And um, and I've seen her like at comedy clubs and also at sex clubs. <laughs> and uh, so she's like really like living her living the life that she's like talking about. You get me? And recently. Oh, so what she does is like sometimes people on Instagram will uh, DM her questions or I don't know how people do that thing where you like can have little bubbles of questions people gave you on stories. The anonymous yeah, question whatever. Thing. I don't yeah. know how to do that shit. So she gets a question that's like, you know, like, what do we have to do to date you, right? Somebody obviously is like trying to fuck her, whatever. And she answers it seriously. And one of the things that she says is that, you know, she first explains like her type of relation. Well, the fact that she's not currently looking for any partners, but her type of relationship style. But then she says, but frankly, what my number one rule and a rule that I think everyone, especially women, should adopt is that she does not date anyone who isn't therapized, (laughs) is how she put it. Uh, But then she went on to clarify, which is like, it's not necessarily that you are currently in therapy or that you were in therapy in the past, but you need to be able to speak to all of those various things that affect the person that you are today and the needs that you have and the hangups that you have and the anxieties that you have. Because if you are not aware of them, whether you came to be aware of them through therapy in the past, through therapy in the present, or through some other method like reading about psychology and working on yourself, then that will eventually be something toxic that comes around in the relationship for the other partner to have to deal with. And it is not anybody's responsibility to uh, make you a well-developed, good, whole human who's ready to be part of a pair. It's your responsibility. Yeah. 
So I really love that, and I'm just going to throw it out there that it's not about being medicated or being in therapy, but being fucking self-aware and brutally honest about what turns you on and all this stuff. Um, I'll tell you privately her name, but I don't want to like blow her shit up on the podcast. We'll see. So you can follow her. All right. But I wanted to tell you about something totally different, <laughs> which is uh, this like, I guess like a little update on the state of media in the present, but also in the past. And I have some um, theoretical questions for you, I guess. But um, the Scorsese Film Institute, you know, it's like a, you know, I don't know, a not-for-profit that Scorsese started that is like all about... Um, preserving film, about doing research about the preservation of film, all of that stuff, right? And I think the original study that they put out was in 2017, and the numbers, hold on, because I'm written over here, that they put out basically say that um, half of American films made before 1950 and over 90% of films made before 1929 are lost forever, Okay. Some other similar numbers, yeah. So there's, uh, you know, even if you're a film buff and you can be like, oh, whatever, I saw Battleship Potemkin or whatever, like, that's literally one of ten movies that's, like, survived. Like, out of every ten, only one made it. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Um, And then uh, Deutsche Kinematek uh, estimates that 80 to 90% of silent films are already gone. Okay. Their archive list of films that are gone includes 3,500 lost films that they have oh, the title sad. and information for, but no, like, cannot be seen. Uh, the Library of Congress uh, estimates it at 75% of all the silent films in America are now lost. Um, and then, like, uh, the latest study by the Scorsese Film Foundation states that apparently... This same problem is going to affect all film and basically content, right? Made um, post-DVD Blu-ray to now, okay? Because once people stopped collecting, being able to collect physical media, like records and DVDs and VHSs, then the onus of preserving a film or a TV series or whatever comes to the producers mm. or the property, oh, yeah. the IP owners. And if they don't preserve it, then it just gets lost forever. If there's not a version of the of it on the internet, it just gets lost forever. So every show that was never uh, pirated or torrented, <laughs> every movie that wasn't torrented, uh, between like estimated between like 2002 and now, is at risk of being lost forever unless some kind of archive take undertakes the work right so i mean let's stop there for a second because i'm interested like what does that make you think of because i don't know like most of art that was ever made in the world is lost to us so isn't that the normal course of art part of me wants to say but also like it's kind of fucked up right (laughs) what do you think I think what's weird about it is that it is the normal course of art, but it is shocking because I had some assumptions in place for little to no reason about that not being the case because I just assumed 
that there would be some sort of mechanism in place and never thought to about just why them. that wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, I just assume someone is saving all this shit, but it makes total sense. Like that, there would just I mean, there's mil, like a tons and tons of movies and TV shows and stuff. Yeah. Like, and there's no necess- not necessarily anyone's job to like, you know, capture any of this stuff. Totally. Uh, so, and then yeah. you have like the the Disney Vault and stuff like that, where they just like selectively are like, "Fuck you, I'm throwing it away." Yeah, you know? and then nobody can see it other than them. So that's kind of related to what I wanted to talk talk to you about because, so for like the new stuff, uh, you know, the Scorsese Film Foundation. Um, you know, we've all heard Scorsese's comments about Marvel and such. He's definitely a little snob, right? <laughs> so yeah, he's right yeah no I'm not saying he's not but uh, that means that he probably has not yet thought about and he didn't do the study his institute did but like him and his institute have not yet thought about how this impacts like the current dominant form of content production and dissemination which is streaming media well linear is still across the world but streaming media is going to be the next thing right mm-hmm. and there's like a really interesting thing happening with streaming services that are new versus legacy streaming. So have you heard anything about the Netflix comedy special changes now that they're doing? No? No. This is totally just going to be a let's talk about the industry. (laughs) But in a cool, I think, interesting way. So uh, it made the news, like it was in uh, fucking NPR on like all different kinds of news that I listened to that uh, what a big deal that that Netflix is changing the way that they do comedy special deals, Jake. And then uh, Netflix actually confirmed that it's not that they're changing it, it's that they're providing a second avenue, right? <laughs> because the previous avenue used to be Comedy Central paid you to make a... I mean, I'm sorry, sorry. Netflix paid you to make a comedy special. That's what they did, Right. So if we rewind a few years before Netflix started making comedy specials, okay? If we are all old enough and you can recall that Netflix started as the blockbuster killer, right? Which was, instead of going to a brick and mortar store, you can sign up for $4.99 a month and we will email you, I mean, sorry, we will mail you in the mail DVDs of all the movies that you choose and you can watch them yeah. and you can send them back. You remember? One of my roommates still does that. You can oh, still get those. Oh, you can still those. do that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that you can still do that. That's insane. Why does your roommate do that? I don't know. He's explained it to me before, and I don't know. Hilarious. I'm going to ask him if I ever meet him. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Netflix originally was blockbuster killer. That's what it was. It It was not a content creator. It was a content licensor, <laughs> licensee, I don't know. And they would then provide the approved distributed versions from the creators. You get me? Mm-hmm. Then once they killed Blockbuster and they became a streaming service and they started to offer these movies that, again, they did not produce. So they didn't, didn't undertake the cost of creating this content. They just licensed it from fucking Paramount, from Warner Brothers, from whatever, whoever made it, right? 
And then they become a streaming service and they become fucking very successful because it turns out people would rather click on a thing to see whatever than to wait for a DVD to show up in the mail. And they would rather click on a thing to watch it than to wait for 8 p.m. for the show to start on Tuesday night, right? So Netflix discovered streaming, sort of, right? And But then the problem was everybody signed up. And then they watched all the fucking movies, Jake. And then, so then they got series. And then we all binged the shit out of all their series that they got. So then they were like, holy shit, we're out of content. So they started making content. Okay? Right about this time, when they were running out of movies and, like, licensed content, they hired a lot of the people that worked in traditional linear TV, including Comedy Central and MTV. Okay? They went over to Netflix. So what Netflix immediately learned is that the cheapest form of content you can create is stand-up comedy and reality TV, right? So they went about immediately dumping all of their money into creating reality TV shows and stand-up comedy. And they paid for these to be produced, and they paid the comics and the actors and fucking everyone, right? So it was like a big boom moment that even affected Wall Street. And so Netflix went up. Everybody, more people joined Netflix. Netflix costs went up, right? Remember that it used to be fucking four ninety nine a month, and now literally it's about to be twenty bucks a month this month, I think. Uh, so yeah. I canceled it actually. If you know, if you gotta know, but <laughs> uh, because I watched everything already, eat a dick. So <laughs> what happened was. I'm gonna cancel it after I finish Dawn. Yeah, exactly. I recommend that you do, and this is my. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you, and I am biased. I work for one. Of, whatever. We'll we'll talk about it. So, uh, where was I? So, Netflix was at which point did I tell you my story? Because this is the a price timeline. Went oh, the up. price went up. They started making uh, stand up and reality TV, and then uh-huh. uh, they really fucking threw all the money at stand up. By doing that $90 million deal or whatever with Chappelle. Right? You recall? Right. Yeah, so, I know. They paid so much yes, money. Yes, man. So I want to pitch to you a little side note right here. Not just that the impact on streaming and content and creators that this will have that we'll continue to discuss. But as a side note, think about the impact that this has on a Chappelle. Where I'm going to say to you, remember, remember that before Netflix entered Chappelle's life, we were left with the beautiful memory of the wonderful David Chappelle that we loved. <laughs> and he right. quit, and he went off to Africa, and then he went off to whatever, Ohio, where the fuck he lives, and he was living a great life, and nobody was bothering him, and then fucking Netflix went to him and was like, hey man, you want $90 million to make us five specials in three years? Who amongst us? Wouldn't I be like, hell yeah, bro. <laughs> I will make you five specials in three years. I would say yes, and I don't even have five minutes. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I do want to lay it at Netflix's feet that they ruined Dave Chappelle for all of the world. Um, you could almost make like a right-wing uh, market like argument about this in that what Netflix kind of did was an unnatural interference in what the market yes. does with developing artists. Absolutely. If you want to make it, I don't like. I don't, you know, that's how I think. But like, it is kind of. Especially when the, I tell you what he, the new deal is, Jake. You're absolutely right, because what they did was 
throws such an outlandish deal because this is outside of like HBO has never done this, Comedy Central has never done this. It is an outlandish insane. Louis C.K. never got this. Okay, so yeah. it is crazy, and I don't even remember if ninety million is right, but it's sixty, ninety. It's something like that. It's a ridiculous fucking amount of money for five hours of material in three years when anyone amongst us can tell you that that is not going to lead to quality material, but whatever. Uh, that is neither here nor there, I guess. <laughs> um, but what they did financially and in the rest of the world is that uh, Wall Street went crazy uh, because also Wall Street is full of bros and they're like, hell yeah, I love the Chappelle show. <laughs> This is amazing. I can't believe Netflix got Chappelle to come out of retirement. He's going to make fucking... Five specials. This is amazing. Netflix is the future. Netflix is the future. So Netflix's talk goes crazy. They feel um, uh, right in raising their prices and continuing in the path that they're continuing in. But eventually, uh, we all start to notice and comment on the fact that while they're producing a lot of content, the quality is not great, right? We're getting a lower level quality of comedy um, Specials, not all, but some of them are rushed and some of them aren't great and some of them are pandering and it's not great. And we're not getting a uh, great series all the time. There's like a few that people love, Ozarks, all this stuff. So they have some hits, things that really work out. But when you look at the numbers, it's a small percentage of everything they actually paid to produce. You get me? That is like mm -hmm. causing waves and trending on Twitter and whatever and getting positive reviews. And then... The next axe falls uh, upon not just Netflix, but Hulu, which is for the last few years, right? In the time that Hulu and Netflix were growing, legacy content creators, meaning linear TV media, started making their own platforms and their own like apps and websites. You get me? Because they learned also from Netflix oh, shit, people will watch 23 hours of Criminal Minds? <laughs> Then, like, holy shit, why are we giving Criminal Minds to Netflix? Jake, do you know that Criminal Minds, like, it's made news. Like, uh, the first quarter that Netflix lost money since their, their inception also coincided with the quarter where they lost Criminal Minds because it was the most streamed show on Netflix. And Criminal Minds? Yes, motherfucker. <laughs> This is a 14-season CBS, uh, like, a FBI serial murderer catching show, right? I've never even heard oh of Oh, my this. God. Millennials everywhere are going to be mad at you because it's awesome. I watch it, like, on repeat all the time. <laughs> and, uh, like, honestly, tweet at Jake if you love Criminal Minds and he's just wrong. <laughs> okay. Is it, like, a true crime doc no it's like thing? totally fictional it's like a law and order thing uh yes but they are the behavioral analysis unit of the fbi and their only job is to catch serial killers oh so okay, every episode cool. they go to a different town and they catch a crazy serial killer well you do like serial no but i like the good. fictional version not the real one <laughs> it's different okay. i told you i like creative <laughs> creator stuff i like your version of it not the historical version of the serial murders. Um, okay, well, Dahmer is, well, I guess it's not I guess, But I it is know, creative, I guess, right? It's a creative interpretation. But, um, yeah, I don't, I just don't want to. Uh, but wait, where was I? He looks like Anders. Oh, he does, I know. That's also fun. <laughs> totally. I actually thought Anders before, 
um, what's his name? Joe Para. But Joe Para. But yeah, when yeah. you said Joe Para, I was like, oh wait, you're more right. Is he? What it is? He looks like Anders and talks mm-hmm. like Joe Para. It's crazy. Yeah, but so wait, where was I? Uh, oh, so the the comeback of the of Everyone the old lines. guys. Yeah. So yeah. The reality is that in our stupid country, uh, like the top shows, Jake, are, I believe, um, it's like, uh, what's that? How I Met Your Mother, right? Mm-hmm. The top five most watched shows in America, I think four of them are canceled. Like they are not currently producing new episodes, but they are the most watched uh-huh. shows. And they are like NCIS, um, How I Met Your Mother, uh, Criminal Minds. And then there's one other one that I don't remember. But CBS owns Criminal Minds, obviously. It aired originally on CBS. So when the Netflix license ended for Criminal Minds 14 seasons, okay? So remember that this is 14 seasons of 25 episode seasons. So that's like 25 times 14 hours of viewing. Like, that's a lot of fucking viewing time. (laughs) And when it ended, uh, CBS slash Paramount chose to not renew it and kept it on Paramount Plus. So now CBC, uh, Criminal Minds is exclusive to Mar- Paramount Plus, which led to like a huge uptick in Paramount Plus subscribers <laughs> because it's the only place people can find Criminal That's Minds. crazy. Right? Okay, same thing. Check this out. Hulu, um, I would say, is mostly known not for so much creating their own content, although they have created some good original things and some original popular things like uh, The Handmaiden's Tale or Handmaid's Tale. Sorry, don't fucking yell at me. Handmaid's Tale. Uh, That's an original from Hulu that people love and trends and whatever the fuck. Uh, But for the most part, Hulu is a licensing platform. It licenses movies and also uh, near live TV. It's what it's called. So... If a show aired on NBC last night, it'll be on Hulu the next day. Ah, usually, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, you can watch like SNL exactly, on it, like, the next yes, day. Exactly. Shit. Except that, Jake, NBC developed its own app called Peacock, right? Right. And Peacock it. is free, first of all, has been free for a few years. And now you can have premium Peacock for $1.99 a month. Okay? <laughs> so then you would think, like, why would I need to go to Peacock? Well, Peacock is now the exclusive platform where you can see Law and Order SVU, Law and Order, and Law and Order Criminal, whatever the fuck, the one with Stapler. (laughs) So they took it away from Hulu. They took three series of the top most performing series in the history of American television away from Hulu, and, and now you can only get it for $1.99 on Peacock. Okay, or for I think you can get it for free with commercials. Um, So there is this move now where the large legacy conglomerates um, are picking up the new technologies and realizing like, holy shit, like Disney Plus, for example, like you were saying about the vault. If the problem that someone like Hulu or even Shudder or Netflix has is that they cannot produce their own content at an at a rate to keep people subscribed. We are pe- we are companies who have literally decades of content just put away in our stupid vaults. <laughs> and so all we have to do is digitize it and make it a modern version of video and then put it on our fucking shit. So 
Oh, so th- let's go back to Netflix for a minute. So Netflix, right? They just experienced like their first two bad quarters, I think, ever. And one of the things that came out of it is this new um, comedy deal, right? So mainstream media is shocked, Jake. They're shocked <laughs> that Netflix would offer such a deal. But when I tell you this deal, you're going to be like, what? Isn't that how it's always been? Check it out. The deal that Netflix is now going to offer comics, and basically it means the deal that they were off, will offer to not Dave Chappelle's, right? Yeah. Is that you, Jake, if you produce your own special, you pay for it to be filmed, produced, edited, you send us a tape, we love it, we will license it for two years, and we'll pay you for two years to have it on Netflix. And after that, you own it again, and it's your problem, but we're not going to help you produce it. So yeah. they're going. I've heard like a lot of people doing stuff. Right. Like That's this. this is something that, but so I guess what I'm trying to point out is that like the things that had That's... been grassroots for the last five to 10 years are now yeah. becoming corporate practice. You understand me? Which is yeah, ultimately totally. not sense. good for artists. So, I mean, it's not because it. It's good because it puts it on you to produce whatever you want to produce without, like, notes from the fucking network or whatever. This is really similar to how it went from being, like, you can be a cab driver to now you're an independent contractor as, like, an Uber employee or whatever. Like, as as they contract and need to maintain creating, like, profit, they're going to put more of the burden on people that they know are already in a situation where they want to fucking work. Even yeah. if it's just doing comedy or whatever, so like that—the fact that that's like standard is that sucks because mm-hmm. that just makes me think, wow, I wish I had gotten one two years ago. When or they would like pay got, you like, for, it. for it, yeah, exactly. Where, where, and like for people, okay, I think I I have to explain this for people who are not comedians or in the comedy business, the difference between these two scenarios because this also happened. Let me just go ahead and be a dick with late night, which is also dying, honestly, um, where. When comedians, when stand-up comics used to do late night and they went on Conan or uh, Letterman or Leno, they, or even fucking, what's the stupid face from SNL? Seth, (laughs) right? They were actually attending a live taping of a show where they were one of three or four guests. Oh, yeah. One of three or four guests, the only one doing stand-up comedy. They often... Um, well, they definitely had the experience of, like, you have a green room, you're in a real, like, fucking whatever uh, studio, the host comes around and says hi to you, is so happy to have you on, the Jimmy Fallon's, if you will, right? Um, and so you have this, like, incredible, unique experience of being the comedian on a near-live, gets-taped, today-to-go-up-tonight show, and it's fantastic, and you have pictures after, and it's great, to like Colbert, the show ended already. I think so. Whatever, I'm gonna talk mad shit. Did it end? I think so. He's doing a new show for Comedy Central soon, so I don't know. Well, maybe it's going. I don't know, but I think stand up ended on it because the bookers the bookers are no longer working there. Yeah, wow. so I don't think there's gonna be any more stand up on Colbert's late night show. Everybody I like got fired. Yeah, off the writer's exactly. Room, so I think they're going another direction, but you know he's like a tradcath, so I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah, sucks. Exactly. I don't like it. Like, get out of here. 
But fucking lame let me tell shit. you something else. Another reason to not like it is that um, when the Colbert show first started, the late night show, um, the way that they went about doing stand-up was that instead of um, actually booking a stand-up comedian to be on on a particular date as part of the other guests, um, what they did was they had like one recording day, maybe like once a quarter or once every six months, and they would have six to ten, I don't know, comics. Uh, I'm going to say eight to ten, maybe. Comics come for a live, quote, live taping, right? But it was a day where they would all at the same time show up to the studio. Yeah. And then there were... I remember when people I knew would get yeah. this and you'd be like, wait, what are you doing? So you're yeah, not, exactly. They're going to stitch it together and make it look it's like basic, you were Jake, on Carson? It's basically B-roll. They basically use yeah. stand-up as B-roll because they're... Oh, right, because you might not you get on. You don't ever get too, on. Yes, you're never there. Goal. Like, yeah. you get told the day of or the day before, hey, your your set is going to air tomorrow. And the reason yeah. it would air is because they have specifically seven minutes that they want to fill, and they're like, we'll put stand-up in here. This guest didn't work out. You get me? So yeah. they wanted to have a bank of stand-up sets that they could just insert on any episode where stand-up would make sense or, like, I couldn't get a, get a, get a better guest. You get me? Which, yeah. great. I love all, most, let me see, most of the comedies that got that show as their late-night credit, but it they were cheated out of an experience of, like, being, like, the singularly chosen stand-up comic to be on that show that night, to meet, I don't know, Sylvester Stallone or whoever the fuck was on me, you know, like... <laughs> It's yeah. a whole different thing than this, like, oh, because also, maybe this is too inside baseball, but what it does is, if you are watching 10 stand-up comics back-to-back, it's called a showcase, and there is a natural rhythm that happens in a showcase in which the first person has to work the hardest to win over the club, uh, sorry, the, the crowd, the second and third person can probably ride that as long as they don't fuck it up. The people in the middle are when everybody kind of starts to get bored, but then the second to last and maybe third to last, if they're funny, re- catch people's attention again. And then the last person, if they're really good, everybody loves them the most because they're the one they remembered. They remember the most because it happened most recently. But if they're bad, they're the one people hate the most because they're the one they remember most recently. So if you yeah. then chop up that show, right? And you take oh, the right. person that went last on a showcase and you fucking insert it into a late night show. That whole energy, that's a whole, that's an energy of a crowd who's been watching stand up for an hour and a half or whatever. And right. like totally different than the first person who's getting the energy of like, this is everybody's moms in the crowd came to, you know, like. Right. It is not at all a realistic representation of what stand up is like. It's a manipulated version. Yeah. And I know, oh, actually, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because, or like, not the reason, but another thing is, so if the new Netflix thing is sort of like the Colbert thing where it's like, we just need filler content. You guys make it, and if it's good, we'll pay you to license it. It sounds bad, and it is bad, but then what we used to have was like the old Hollywood version, which was like studios owned you basically forever. And you could only do projects that they approved of and they owned everything forever, even after you died. Um, So that fucking sucks too. (laughs) So it's like, 
uh, I don't know, how do you resolve this in the current capitalist system? How do you resolve that? Like, yeah. very, that's really similar to shit that Marx talks about in yeah. Capital, about how like capitalism has this incredible overarching thing where it both like it both sucks to be overworked and to be out of work right and the same yeah. way it both sucks <laughs> for your employer to Too have much control all the yeah. power in which in that case you're living in the company town yeah. and they decide everything and then there's like these the, and then you're freelance like, and they don't help you in any way and then yeah yeah and you're and replaced somehow both ends of that spectrum, the boss always walks away with the thing. It's yeah. mystifying to look at because you go, well, then how do you get around this? And the answer is like, you have to look at it big, big, bigger picture and go, okay, like this entire system has to be sort of turned upside down, yeah. you know? Like this is just another, it's always, we're, you know, it's always going to come down to the thing when we talk about this stuff. It's always going to come down to like, I mean, this is reorganizing all of society. This is totally why I wanted to. This is like a thing I've been turning over in all the time that we were off. And I'm glad to talk it over with you because then also there's like, okay, so if we go back to the original thing, which was the idea of whose job is it to preserve content, right? Because again, we exist in capitalism, right? So right now, the big companies are making a move towards working on their archival content, you know, like putting resources towards digitizing it, towards like putting tags on things, writing descriptions. Uh, so, okay, um, dude, all sorts of ethical issues come up. Let me give you several examples that are super fun as artists to think about and content creators. One is from Disney Plus, okay? So, uh, do you have Disney Plus? Have you used it at all or no? I've used it once okay. or twice. I stole someone's password. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have like a free one because of my cell phone or something, I think. I can never justify using it because it's 90% of it is like, do you want to watch Aladdin? Yeah, I don't, I don't like Star Wars, so I don't, because apparently it's got a lot of Star Wars related content, but I don't, I don't. That's why I got it. Yeah. I want to watch Mandalorian and The Simpsons Yeah, exactly. But uh, the thing that I actually really enjoyed about it is, um, I haven't looked at it in a few months, so maybe that's not there anymore, but I think it's there, which is they basically opened the uh, Disney vault, right? Which is on Disney Plus. You can go, or you could go, I hope this is still true, you could go and you can sort your view by decade. So there's like a way that you can go to like show me everything by decade. And it starts at the yeah. 1920s, Jake. Yeah, it's just pretty Fucking cool. crazy, some, dude. There's like Nazi yes, shit. Yes, man. And like racist, you know, like blackface stuff. Yes, yeah. that's, this is where I'm yeah, going yeah. with it, okay? And number one, I will say this, which is, for me, it did hit a nostalgia key because uh, since I grew up in South America for the, my first 10 years, a lot of my media consumption, most of my media consumption was like pirated American content, right? That was like on VHS's taped from some shit. And it was a lot of these, like it turns out, like I had no idea that they were so old. But once I looked at this Disney Plus vault, I realized that, like, the cartoons I grew up with were 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Yeah, sure, yeah. so that's, like, how lag, how much lag there was in the 80s between, like, media that was new in America versus new in South America, right? They, that's 
definitely true. Although I'll tell you, growing up here, uh, watching like cartoons that were just on the cartoon yeah. channels, they also played like hella old yeah. shit. It was cool, actually. Like I learned as I got older, oh, that thing I liked was from the 30s or yeah. whatever. Um, and it actually became kind of sad because what you know, when I, in the 90s when I was growing up, there was like this thing called Nick at mm. Night on Nickelodeon where they would fuck it. And this is like, I got it. That's when I moved to America and I would watch F Troop and I was like, what the yeah. fuck is this yeah, shit? Yeah, I used to watch <laughs> F Troop too. And like sometimes, you know, when you do the Marin style interviews, they go, why are you a comedian? I go, a lot of it is because I watched old <laughs> comedy, yeah. I think. Like, and they used to play the Dick Van Dyke yes, show. Yes, I loved it. And they it. would run all the way Lucy, from I that, love Lucy. Like black yeah. Lucy. I love Lucy, huge yeah. influence, right? I fucking love that show. Taxi, mm-hmm. and like it went all the way yeah. up to like the eighties, taxis or seventies or something. Dragnet, like even like the favorite. dryness of Dragnet. Uh, yeah, yeah. But what's weird is now, if you're ever in like a hotel room or something, and you like, so I wonder what's on Nick at Night right now. <laughs> it's like shit from like ten. It's like yeah, Friends or whatever. Totally. Like they caught up so hard, but they used to play well, it's all like that how shit. The in, like, station on radio moves up decades with you have you noticed that yeah you hear like yeah. panic at the totally. disco yeah, art or something like, you're like oh my god uh, i remember when old. i was growing up it was like the uh the best from the 50s 60s 70s and today or something like no no i'm not that old it was like from the 70s 80s and today and that's what it was and then now I, the last time i went to miami it was like uh all oh, your favorites from the 90s 2000s and today it was like oh god Oh, no. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Um, but back to Disney Plus. So Disney Plus, uh, they put up all these, uh, these like, old fucking cartoons and shit, dude. And the ones that I liked, for the record, are Silly Symphonies. I don't know if you've ever seen them. If you could ha- still have access, go check them out. They're, like, short um, animated, like, sketches, basically, that are, uh, like, a symphony playing, like, a big orchestrated, orchest- orchestral fucking song or whatever. And then it's all animated. And so there's one, for example, that is like, Jake, it's literally the whole story is like a flower grows and then it dies and all the other flowers have a funeral for it. And then this tree comes and wants to like set everything on fire. It's it's like a German opera, <laughs> but it's like four <laughs> kids, right? So those were the kinds that I liked. But there are others in the vault that, as we mentioned before, um, are pretty gross and bad and sexist and uh, racist and just really bad. And what Disney Plus chose to do, and Disney chose to do, was to provide present them in their unedited original form, but they put a plaque at the front. So when you play the episodes, uh, a thing comes up that says, you know, something to the effect of, like, um, the following episode contains ideas and representations of its time that Disney, the Disney company does not currently, whatever viewers should use caution, right? Some kind of like a statement where they're saying like, this is definitely not something we would pay to make modern in modern times, but it is like the history of the content. So we're making it accessible. Mm -hmm. So personally, I think it's the right way to do things because I don't think anybody should be denied access to human endeavors, like creative endeavors. And it, sh- it is our job. I consider it my personal job to provide access to people to art, right? 
So I think that adding a curatorial statement that says, like, we recognize that there's, like, racist and out of date and fucked up shit in this, but we're recognizing it, like, we're not endorsing it, (laughs) but we're still putting it, like, what do you, what do you think? Because there are people who are like, no, you should just not, like, uh, in my job, there are things that we don't put up, that we just are like, I am, uh, you know, currently taking down some shit that is, like, rapist or somebody that's been accused of rape and stuff like that was part of it so i'm like i'm gonna take this down why should i platform this person right yeah i guess i kind of lean on the side of like you should put it up and the curatorial thing gets you off the hook for uh context because context is important this is kind of reminding me of what happened recently with dr seuss where like some of his old shit was like quote unquote canceled or whatever because it was the racist Mm -hmm. or something and like what what was interesting about it was that the story that people in the culture war online didn't understand about what was happening with Dr. Seuss is that he, I think he was cross. I think the books that he wrote were crossing the threshold from, um, like, uh, public to private and because of copyright laws. So they were about to become public, uh, like, because they were like a hundred years old or whatever the fuck. And so the family was, I'm kind of like butchering this, but, but but like the, the something was going on with the family wanting to preserve their ability to profit off of the thing. And that's what created this entire conflict over, um, people supposedly trying to like prevent this from existing. But if, once it became public, it was like you kind of can't. Fuck, I don't know. I'm kind of going off the deep end here. I can't. I can't remember exactly how this played out. But I remember the dynamics yeah. shifting around is what made it interesting, which is that when when you have a Disney type thing where they feel the need to pull something like that off the shelves, they get accused by people in the right wing like who don't censorship. understand the distinction. Yeah. Right. And what those, what people in the right wing don't understand is that when a company pulls something off the shelves, it's not because they have an agenda about Ideology, free speech yeah. and, and you know, they're trying to indoctrinate your kids. It's simply bottom yeah. line liability shit and them going, are we going to get sued over this thing? And that's why the role capitalism plays in this specific type of like curation yeah. stuff is interesting because it it dictates more than some sort of insidious moral yeah. agenda, which is what they're always trying to accuse everyone of having. And it's like, no, it's basically it's like I mean the same thing that happened with like fucking Shane yeah. Gillis at SNL, where like people looked at him and went, Oh my god, the woke left has like taken down this person. And if you know the story, th- what took them down was SNL not wanting to, to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> Under the capitalist yep. system that we all live in, that everyone thinks is so fucking great, yeah. so like that's fucking the market in play right there or whatever. So like with, I guess with, with this like Disney Vault stuff you're talking about, I what I'm curious about there is what's what's shaping why this stuff is in the vault comes with uh, a little asterisk like that, you know. Well, I mean, to me, it's similar to, like, even, like, the baseball stuff, you know? Uh, I'm sorry for everyone that I'll butcher this example for, but, like, you know, uh, you're aware that, like, in baseball history or whatever, 
is it Bonds? Whatever. I'm not going to name the people. But basically, in baseball history, there are people who hold records for all kinds of shit, right? And then later, mm-hmm. it came out that they were using performance-enhancing drugs or something like that. So oh, right, they yeah. want to, like, there have been discussions of whether or not they should be, like, stricken from the record as having had the most hits or whatever the fuck because they were on performance-enhancing drugs. And then other people believe that, like, no, they should always have an asterisk next to their name that explains, like, the real story of this person because just deleting them from the story, from the timeline, doesn't address what actually happened in this history, right? And, you know, I guess I bring... I come back to it because... As creators, because you as an artist, you're a creator, me as a person who facilitates creators i also contribute to creation uh and if we exist in a world where everybody's going the netflix way of like create your own thing fully subsidize it yourself figure it out present us with a finished product and then maybe we'll give you money right then that also means that the onus is on us to preserve our own creations right it is on us to have an archive of like all your sets of all your notebooks of all the things you've ever done. You get me? Because yeah. nobody else is going to be preserving this shit. Only you. So that means that you and I have to make decisions of like what should go in our archive. And then are those decisions based on like, well, this would make me look bad. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it out yeah. or do you put it in and say this is part of my real history here's an asterisk that says like I recognize this was like a bad moment <laughs> you know or like like how do you go about no, archiving okay. yourself yeah tell me I, I think okay I think I thought of two really interesting okay. parallel things to this right one of them is the decision of whether or not to delete your own yes. Because okay. in that sense, you are curating. You're curating your own thing, and like everyone, on some level, feels the need to try to like delete stuff yeah. to try to like you. I mean, but probably no one in no one's gonna like unless you become like the greatest comic Nobody of all time. Cares. Your stuff yeah. is not gonna get like. You know, it's going to go back and read your entire Twitter feed, right? But the then also, why are you really so obsessed with is... never deleting anything and keeping, like, a real fair record that you yourself just said nobody's going to go back and read? Right, well, because the only people that do go back and read it are people that are, like, trying to make some yeah, kind of argument you're or, trying like, to, to, hide to get you or whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, well, I'll nip that in the bud and go, I don't care. I'll be I here won't ever hide anything, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but you're right. I don't know 100% how I feel yeah. about that. Maybe I no, but that's what I mean. I don't know that, 100% how I feel about it. This is why I'm bringing it up. It's so weird because having the asterisks and like recognizing, having the curatorial statement, I guess. That's what comedians yeah. should do with their old tweets is put a little asterisk. Next week. <laughs> says, this does not represent the time yeah. that... Uh, Micah Fox or whatever the fuck <laughs> is now, you know. <laughs> this is well, a like, learning moment. Uh, please refer to my current tweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but okay. So that's one interesting way with this whole idea you were talking about is fleshed out. Another one is um, the 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 discourse around like toppling statues during mm-hmm. protests and stuff like that. Because like if you were to ask me. Do you think it's okay to tear down a statue of Robert like, E. Yeah. Lee? I'd say that sounds yeah. awesome. Like that sounds like a great the time. Confederates but you are can like make a... racing history. Oh my god! And what 
the argument they're making, well, I mean, it's annoying because they like Robert E. Lee, but like they're making an argument that's proposing it's it's fake, but it's supposed to it's posing as the argument of don't you think it's better to keep all but they're not warts, putting warts an asterisk on their stupid Robert E. Lee horse. Well, so here's here's the third thing about that though. What this right? A, they're like not they putting put an asterisk up. B, <laughs> there was like we lost, we suck. <laughs> yeah. just like well, at the time we thought we were gonna win, so we made a horse guy. <laughs> but but this goes back to something that I learned from yeah. you about the nature of what museums are, because like when we talk about toppling a Robert E. Lee statue, you know the reason that it's annoying that a Robert E. Lee statue exists is the context with yep. which it exists in, which is the state paying homage to like this person in a public place that is supposed to be like venerated, right? If a Robert E. Lee statue was in a museum with of context, theory, yes. with context mm-hmm. of like, hey, this guy w- killed a bunch of people and tried to you know, yeah. keep slavery around, that's entirely different. But what I know about museums from talking to you all this fucking time on this podcast is that museums themselves kind of serve the same yes. function that the fucking stupid state park that has a Robert E. Lee statue in it if to begin with does. Yes, so there's if their no, curatorial statement no, doesn't admit to anything, then you are not hel- you're doing the same thing as putting the statue in the park. Exactly. You're you're right. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's like kind of bad unless you do like radical museum yes. shit and go like this here's specifically why we're doing this, but that doesn't really happen. I feel like you get me and I need for- to send you to every museum <laughs> I ever worked at to explain why I hate everyone there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, how much different is a fucking museum than the Disney Vault and the streaming shit for that sense? Because they both exist under the system of capitalism, which keeps things in a certain direction or whatever. So, like, I I don't know. The first person to ever get my career trajectory. (laughs) Most people are like, so how did you get here from there? You're the only one who's like, yes, absolutely, I get it. (laughs) And I'm like... Yes, I guess with because the I will, question of the Disney Vault well, thing, it's like the asterisk is really fucking important. Well, so there. I'll give you uh, an example of what I did, and I guess I'll open myself up to criticism, but also I hope nobody tries to get me fired because I do love my job. It's challenging and satisfying and fun in so many ways. But um, I recently was working on Comedy Central Presents. And Comedy Central Presents is a series, Jake, that lasted, like, I want to say 14 seasons. Mm, that sounds like the same number I gave for something else, but I swear to God, I think it's 14 seasons. I remember it. It's, I yeah, watched me it too. We watched it growing up, dude. And so the thing is, like, it's a total of 240 episodes. And so I've been working on them for, no lie, like six weeks. And um, as you go back in time, there are episodes that we are not offering on the sites and apps, right? Curatorially, it was decided the content is not something that plays now or the person is somebody who has like rapist allegations against them so we don't want to have them on our platform, whatever. So when you would go back, when you go back in the old seasons, um, there are people who are just like deleted, like, so it'll just be like, there's only seven episodes in the season <laughs> and they're numbered one through seven. But then when you go to like Wikipedia, you see, okay, no, there was actually like five more comics in this season yeah. that are not being represented on this platform. And so what I'm doing is I'm going to change them all to 
instead of being numbered one through seven, they will be numbered their real numbers with gaps in between them. So it'll be like one, five, oh. six, nine, whatever it'll be. Yeah, to yeah. reflect the actual episode number as it was when it aired on linear TV and to recognize that there are gaps here, we people we left out, so that if you are a person who's like a super fan who's checking that this is missing five comics from this, we're not pretending to you that they never had a Comedy Central Presents. We're telling you we chose not to put that on our app. Uh, I think that's the ethical choice for me to make. Like, what do you, because I'm not deleting them from existence. Their video will forever exist in our archive. So I am taking the responsibility of preserving this content made by these people. But if other people in my organization, for capitalist reasons, made the decision that certain episodes shouldn't be up, me as the librarian, I think the most ethical thing I can do is keep their numbers accurate and reflect those gaps as curatorial choices, right? Yeah. I think that makes sense, but I think this also might be one of those things where, like, we could kick it around all day, and the problem is just that this is a contradiction under capitalism, and, like, if we did not exist under capitalism, this problem wouldn't exist, because the way that you curate art would just be, you know, it wouldn't be about someone getting paid for it and you could put up all art warts and all and just have us you know and have the reaction that you want to have yeah we encourage your personal subjective reaction uh i think that's the key of it is like or the problem honestly with the with the hegemonic like companies right is that we don't want to be seen like we're telling you we support this person or this comic or this art or this is great. So I honestly think that what I'm doing for TV land is better. I know TV land's a channel, but you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, for like TV world. The actual yeah, TV land. Is yeah. almost better and more ethical than what was happening in museums because everybody's being honest about their reasoning for why something should be displayed and preserved and put on where in museums they're still vacillating about like oh it's history and some people fucking think the confederate flag is important i don't want to hurt their feelings like get the fuck out of here dude (laughs) like what are we doing yeah so sometimes capitalism does push us towards a more decisive decision i guess if that makes (sighs) Yeah. Okay, there's a whole other, like, we've been podcasting for so long. I know, so no, I just give me one more minute. Up, you, got, I, you have, this is an elevator pitch, you have 30 <laughs> seconds, go. Okay, <laughs> so when I talk about, like, how this problem would ex- wouldn't exist under the contradiction of capitalism, I'm not saying that any state that attempted communism, though, on planet Earth has potentially existed in a way that solved this problem, because, like, uh, we're talking about an ideal state of us eventually having abolished this problem. I've been thinking a lot about the fucking Soviet Union because I'm reading this book called The Master and Margarita. I'm going to have to do a whole thing about it like next time or something. Have you ever no, heard of this never. book? I'm excited to hear about it. Oh, you should read it. It's so good. So it's this writer who existed in the Soviet Union in, like during like the fucking terror and shit, and he was a playwright, and he... um was really good 
at what he did, but he kind of satirized the Soviet Union. So Stalin never killed him, but he, he could have delegated him Favorite to like, clown. you have to put on fucking, uh, <laughs> yeah, like you, you had to put on yeah. the same opera over and over and over again. You know, the, his creativity. put on cats yeah, he forever. His creative yeah. spirit. That is how you dominate. So this guy, Honestly, if you, any of you ever want to become despots, that is um, how you <laughs> dominate the creative spirit is by being like, I will be your patron. I will give you money to do the thing you want to do, but then I'm going to place so many limitations on it. And you're going to be just my little yeah, totally. who can't ever, ever, ever feel creative. And that's how you crush them. And some people like If I wanted to be an emperor worm, I would be such a great emperor worm. <laughs> but no, yeah, continue. <laughs> okay, so what the Master and Margarita is, is that he wrote like a book that only kind of came out posthumously because it was like his protest, but it couldn't, it would have gotten killed kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it, uh, what it is, it came out finally like in the sixties, like when things were starting to change in the Soviet union a little bit and people loved it. It started getting like, um, published in newspapers over there and stuff. And it is inherently kind of a satire of the Soviet union from within the Soviet union. And there's like, it's, it's like, it's basically the premise of it is that there is this, these two guys at the beginning of the book, one of them's a, a poet and one of them is his editor and the editor is telling the poet you need to write me a um a satire of like christianity because we're the soviet union we're this Mm -hmm. atheist state and uh they're talking about it and he's like giving the guy notes and this third guy walks up and the third guy has a black eyeball and a monocle and a fucking weird hat (laughs) and he looks all bizarre and and you know just weird and eastern european or whatever and the guy is bizarre. He keeps telling them weird shit. He says, I fr- I knew Pontius Pilate. I lived when Pontius Pilate lived. And they're like, you're crazy. And then they eventually they're like, why is this guy so weird? And they just go, I think he's German. <laughs> I think he's like a German. Like, it, it's really funny book. I guess he's German. And so they like don't understand what's happening. And eventually the guy says, you're going to die later today. Your head's going to get chopped off. And they're like, shut up. You're crazy. And then later on that day, one of the guys falls on a subway track. His head is chopped off. And then all of a sudden they realize, holy shit, like something's going on. And then you, the reader, come to understand that that character is the mm-hmm. devil. And he's been written into the story as a way to prove that God is real to the Soviet Union by proving the that real. the devil oh! is real. And he just wreaks havoc on this fucking, on Moscow with like this weird group of like these lackeys. One of them is just a talking cat. Like it fucking rules. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I want to read it and I'm already um, so mad at it, but I want to read it. <laughs> But the point, it's honestly like there's a big argument to be had over whether it's anti-Soviet well, or anti-communist. Like why are you, yeah, but like I pro-West think, by imposing? It's not. I don't, don't think, think so? it's pro-West. I, okay. I think that it is critical of the specific because the thing like is the, the Soviet Soviets Union didn't wanted ach- approval from the West. Well, like the st- like the second. Pokemon yeah. emoji evolution that you have to go through to try to reach communism in the Marxist Leninist sense is you have to stamp down on like press yeah. stuff and freedom of speech to a certain degree. And this writer existed within it and was like, when are we going to get to the communist utopia? I right now feel like Stalin is trying to kill me for being a good writer and stuff like that. And so some of this <laughs> shit also exists under like Marxist Leninist yeah. governments, like as much as like I am a commie. I don't. I, I no, think it's agree. true. It's I don't never, think China is cool. You know, perfect version of what we're trying to do. We none of us argue for that. And 
when like dumbass fucking redneck yeah. idiots chuds in America are like the Chinese communists are going to restrict our freedom of speech. This is what they're yeah. referring to. They're not using that reference correctly, really, because it's like not what's happening when like Pete Buttigieg runs for president or whatever. But like that does exist. And so like there is an argument to be made that like within like st- over governments that give the state a lot of power as opposed to the market, there is still like a tyranny of the state that is possible that also creates situations where we don't have good art curation either because we do that shit yeah. like or how Stalin like erased that guy out yeah. of the photo next to him like Dude, famously. Dude, at the 9 Museum, oh, like my job was mem- memorializing people, but we definitely erased some people, gotta tell you. Uh, we'll talk about yeah. that. <laughs> I just love that... Uh, we were like, we'll do a quick second episode, and it was twice as long as the no, first no, episode. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, happy, I don't know, whatever next week will be for everyone. Happy spooky season. We're giving you all the fucking episodes. I love this one. I'm going to call I- this one Archiving Yourself. <laughs> love it. <laughs> because it is all about this. What was the name of the book that you just said? Let me write it down. The, the Master the in Margarita. Master I swear to love it. in Margarita or and? And, and margarita. margarita. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm going to fucking totally do it. I loved it. I loved this conversation. I'm so glad to catch up with you, and I hope we'll do another one next week, too, and we'll get back on fucking schedule, because I miss talking to you, bud. Um, yeah, me too. And then for everyone else, I guess email us if you remember the email. It's cool if you don't. We don't need it. <laughs> uh, and other than that, love you. Tell somebody to you know support us if you agree. But other than that, I don't want to plug anything. Oh, I guess, I don't know when we're going to release this, but I have a show on 1017 at Baby's All Right in Brooklyn. Check me out on Twitter at Luisa Diaz Nuts, and you'll see my promo. Anything for you? All right, listen to Pod, listen to Pod Damn America, and happy Pokrov, everyone who celebrates on the Julian calendar the... Uh, the holiday of Pokrov that I got into a weird Twitter fight <laughs> with that chick from Succession. <laughs> We're going to leave that one for the next episode. I, I can't wait. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right, bye.